Hi, this is Ken Mary, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. So focus, people, focus. Focus Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. Two, that's right, two great guests this week as we talk with legendary drummer Ken Mary. Ken is always a busy guy, and uh, currently he is uh, working with Flotsam and Jetsam. They have a new album, should have come out this month, it's getting pushed to... Uh, early next year so that that can uh, sync up with the uh, tour they're going to do for it. It's called The End of Chaos. They'll be uh, heading over to Europe and then swinging back over to the States. But the uh, other and probably main reason that Ken is talking with us this week is to help promote the brand new Fifth Angel release. That's right. I did say it. Fifth Angel. We haven't heard from Fifth Angel since 1989, at least as far as uh, an album is concerned. And that was, of course, when they had uh, put out Time Will Tell over on uh, on Epic. But now Nuclear Blast has picked up the mantle. And a few weeks ago, October 26th, they released The Third Secret. So uh, Richie will be talking to Ken all about uh, the making of that album and getting all those guys back together again and all the thoughts behind that. But also, you know, Richie being Richie, he's also going to touch on some other bands that Ken has been in. Because, of course, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, the guy's got a pretty storied career. I mean, besides Fifth Angel, you know, he was in TKO. He was involved with Chastain. A lot of people know him from his time with Alice Cooper. He did stuff with Impelitary, of course, House of Lords. So uh, lots of good stuff there. That, uh, that Ken has been uh, involved with. Also, you know, Bad Moon Rising, he was involved in that. Some Bonfire stuff. He did some stuff with David Glenn Isley. He talks a little bit about Northern Light Orchestra as well, but always a busy guy. When you're that kind of a great drummer, of course you're in demand. So uh, first off the uh, docket this week is uh, Richie's chat with Ken Mary. And following that up, he is uh, talking with Jamie Brown. Jamie is, of course, one of the main guys behind the band Roxanne that, uh, just like Fifth Angel coming back after 29 years, Roxanne's coming back after 30 years with their new release called Radio Silence, and that is coming out by our friends over at Rat Pack Records. So Richie will sit down and talk with Jamie about uh, why the resurrection of Roxanne after 30 years. So lots of great discussion this week with uh, with two great artists. Artist. So with that, why don't we dive right into Richie's conversation with the one, the only, Ken Mary. Hey, is this Richard? It is, yes. Is that Ken? It sure is. Hi, Ken. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you as well. Yeah, so you uh, you were in Japan last week? I was indeed. For one show? Yep. Wow. <laughs> That's a long way to go for one show. Yeah, you're not kidding, yeah? Yeah. So you, what you you still jet lagged? No, I feel pretty good. Um, you know, we try to turn it into more of a vacation. My wife went me, with me, and uh, we had a good time, and we did some sightseeing. So it was a uh, you know we were there for like five days, so it was it was good. Yeah, nice, nice. And you got you got the new Flotsam and Jetsam album coming out in uh, was it January or February? Well, I think it's coming out January eighteenth. Nice. Is what I heard. I'm sure I'm going to be offered one of the guys to uh, promote that as well. We did the we did the last record with them. Great, yeah, That's awesome, yeah. So, did a chance to play with Flotsam uh, surprise you at all? Because when I think of you as a drummer, I'm thinking more of the hard rock kind of stuff, not the trash metal. Sure. Well, you know, Flotsam's a lot different, I think, now than they were. Um, if you uh, you know, kind of listen to what they used to do. The thing that honestly really kind of got me into, uh, you know, want, you know, doing it was their last album. You know, the last album, they recorded a bunch of that at my studio. And, um, you know, I'm good friends with Steve Conley. And, uh, you know, the direction on that last record is not thrash metal. You know what I'm saying? It's It's like very 
singable songs that are, um, you know, it's just, it's just not what they used to be. You know, they've definitely progressed. And I think, uh, I like musically where the band has gone. So I think if it would have just been thrash metal, I, I don't think I would have done the gig, but yeah. I, I think because of the last record, you know, songs like Iron Maiden, Monkey Wrench, you know, these are, these are great songs. You know, there's some great songs there and, uh, and fun to play, you know, a lot of fun to play. You get to really put a lot of drum uh, chops in there. So, you know, that's, that's the other thing is I really enjoy, you know, this style of drumming because it lets me use all kinds of skills that you usually only get to use for a drum clinic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one thing that always stood out for me about Flotsam is uh, the vocals. They're, they don't have the yeah. guttural tone on them. It's, it's, it, it reminds me a little bit of Joey Belladonna, that kind of, that kind of singing. Well, you know, AK, honestly, you know, that guy is an amazing singer. And, uh, you know, we did, uh, the last tour we did, we had to do 40. Well, if you want to consider the European thing, I think we did 50 shows in 53 days or something like that. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, I, I will say this, you know, that that guy, he, you know, he's, he's an amazing singer and very durable and, uh, you know, honestly, like he's 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 one of the best, man. He's he's really a great singer. Yeah, yeah. So so let's talk about the Fifth Angel album, the Third Secret. Um, I I have it in my hands here, physical copy. I always buy the physical copies when they come out. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you for doing that. Um, how surprising was this for you that it all came about? Because the band had done a couple of shows a few years ago, and I don't think you were involved in them. So, so tell me from your from your end how surprising it is well, for you to be back with them. Well, it's it's not surprising. Um, you know, th- this is my first band. You know, we kind of all grew up together, and um, so from that perspective, you know, honestly, it's it's not weird at all. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't surprising. You know, this is this is you know the you know, guys that I grew up with. And so it's, it, it wasn't surprising. And I think the shows you mentioned, I was actually supposed to play the show, uh, the keep it true, I think in 2017. And I had a shoulder injury and was able to play the show. Um, I just felt it was better to, you know, make sure that I healed up rather than go and, and, you know, try to, you know, do a drum solo and all these things and, and injure myself further. So, you know, we had been talking, I actually kind of, to some degree, um, was was sort of instrumental in saying, hey, you know, why don't we, you know, give this a shot, you know, back in like 2016 or whatever. You know, I thought, hey, maybe we should do a few songs and try and put something together. And, and so we had talked about it. I was actually the guy, do you know who Oliver is at the Keep It True Festival? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, he's the, he's the guy that's kind of the, you know, the, the organizer, the, 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 the guy that actually put that whole thing together. And, um, uh, I actually sent an email to him requesting the footage from the 2010 show. Uh, I just wanted to see the footage and get the audio and all that. And, and so when I did that, he said, well, would you guys want to play, you know, in 2017? <laughs> so, so it's funny because the 2017 show happened because I was interested in seeing the footage from the 2010 show. So I guess what I'm saying is, no, it's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a that was a very very long way of saying no. It wasn't a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Now, had the other guys stayed in the music business like full time, like you, or were they were they out of it completely? Well, they, you know, they, I'd say no, you know, generally. I mean, John wasn't in the music business full time. Ed was not in the music business full time. Kendall, on the other hand, is a little more like me. Uh, he's helped me out on a lot, a lot of projects over the years. He's played guitars on uh, some projects I did. Uh, one of them was Northern Light Orchestra. So Kendall has been in the business, you know, a little bit more like I have, where he's always doing something. You know, he's always recording or performing or in a band or, you know, always doing something. So I'd say it's, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, varying degrees on that. You know, some members have, have been working a lot, other, other guys, not as much. 
Okay. And was there any particular reason why Ed didn't play on the record? Well, yes. Uh, he had taken a leave of absence from the band due to personal reasons, and we weren't sure if he, he was going to come back or not. So, um, you know, he just kind of wasn't able to participate um, for this record. But, you know, we certainly wanted him to, and uh, we certainly are looking forward to having him participate in the next one. I mean, that's a very instrumental part of the band. And, you know, we feel like, you know, right now we have, you know, four fifths of the time will tell lineup. And, you know, we feel like, hey, that's, you know, that's pretty, that's kind of cool because, you know, a lot of bands nowadays, you know, you'll see the name of the band and there's like one original member, <laughs> you know, and you kind of go like, well, that's not really that band anymore, you know? So, um, you know, we feel very excited to have, you know, four fifths of the band back together. So, yeah, one of the jokes I have with my co-host sometimes is uh, you'll see a band out there and all they've got is the original guitar tech. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. I haven't heard that joke before, but that's actually <laughs> fun. And there, there are literally bands out there that, and I don't want to name names, but and and some of them are, are doing like fantastic job, but there's not like one original member in the band, you know, and you kind of go like, well, what does that mean? You know, like, and, and, and what I tell people is, you know, I think it's a different era nowadays. I mean, and, and you look at it and you go, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you some examples. You know, you have Journey, you know, one of the most iconic singers of all time, Steve Perry. You know, they actually replaced Steve Perry. And you know what? The guy that's there does an amazing job. People go to the concerts. They get to hear those songs again, performed live and done with excellence. And same thing, like, kind of with Queensryche. You know, Queensryche, you know, it's a different lead singer. But you know what? The guy does a great job. And there, people get to hear the songs. And, you know, that's that's an imp I think that's the thing at this point. You know, people just want to hear those songs. And they want to hear them done with excellence. And if you can do that, then you can pull it off. Then, you know, you, you win the game. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ken, did you consider asking uh, either Ted Pilot or Peter Arulian to sing on the album? Well, we did. We actually asked uh, Ted uh, if he'd be interested in, in working. Um, we had asked him, honestly, uh, in, in 2010 to be part of the Kit Show, in 2017 to be part of the Kit Show. Uh, he had been asked to be on the record. He's just too busy. You know, he has uh, too many things going on. He told John uh, that he just simply, you know, he hadn't sung in years and years, and he just doesn't have. Uh, he doesn't feel he can sing at a level that's going to help the band. And, you know, you got to remember, you know, he was very young when he sang those records. And as you, as you get older, you know, if you don't work on that, those, you know, your range and things like that, I mean, there's a lot of crazy high notes on those albums. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you haven't been singing for, you know, 20 years or 25 years or whatever, you know, it's, it's not going to be something that you just jump into right away. It's going to take a whole lot of work. And I just don't think he has the time to put the effort into it. And here's the thing. I think he wants to do it. I think he would like to do it. I just don't think he has the time to actually put the effort into, you know, getting back to that level because it's not, it's not an easy thing. You know, it's not, it's just like if I didn't play drums for, you know, 25 years and I'm going to just, sit down and you know play like i did when i was a kid it's just not going to happen you know you have to really put the effort in yeah yeah so ken how many live shows have you actually played with fifth angel oh with fifth angel are you talking about like as a as the band you mean fifth angel yeah I, the only two shows there's only been three shows uh that have gone on um there was a warm-up gig in seattle and then the two kit festivals I mean, as as officially Fifth Angel, those are the only three shows on record right now. Okay. Is, um, someone told me now, you can confirm this or not, that um, did the band have a tour booked with Iron Maiden in 87 and had to back out of it? <laughs> did the band tour with Iron Maiden? No. The band never toured with Iron Maiden. No, but they, did they have a tour booked and had to back out of it for any reason? Absolutely not. No. I okay. mean, if we would have had a tour with Iron Maiden, we would have done a tour with Iron Maiden for sure. Okay. Okay. I'm just, yeah. uh, it's just someone gave me that information and I said I'd ask you. you well, know, it'd be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would have been, 
did. I mean, that honestly, that was the kind of thing, you know, people say, well, why didn't Fifth Angel play live? And I, and I can tell answer to that too, because, you know, we, we were honestly pretty sharp guys, you know, we were pretty, pretty, for being as young as we were, I think we had very realistic expectations of the business and we wanted certain things. And we looked at other bands from Seattle, you know, like we kind of, Look at what what happened with Queensryche, you know, in the early 80s. I think Queensryche came out in 83. You know, we saw that. And Queensryche never played clubs. They never, you know, went and... Because, you know, you know how it is when you're playing clubs. You can be beating your head against the wall playing to 20 people, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can do tours all across the United States. It's not going to help you. You know, you're just going to... You can be playing, you know, small rooms in front of nobody, and and it's really not going to make an impact. And the thing is, is... You know, Fifth Angel, we looked at it like, hey, this is what we're going to do at Queensryche. Queensryche's first shows were like opening for Dio. <laughs> you know, they were they were on tour with Dio. That was the first, you know, the first thing that they did. And, um, you know, so we looked at that and said, well, that's the way to do it. You know, the way to do it is make make a great album, use the industry, you know, use press and video and and, you know, get the industry to support you and make enough demand for your band to where you can actually go out and, and have an impact playing right away. So we were kind of waiting, you know, to do that. And honestly, if, if grunge hadn't hit, you know, in the early 90s, I, I think, in, and we didn't like lose our deal and we had done like a third record. And, you know, if all those things had happened, you know, we just didn't, we didn't get to that level soon enough. I think if we had come out, you know, maybe earlier, like Queensryche did, you know, you get established and it's, it's a whole different story. It would have been, it would have been easier to, you know, make it through that, that era. But as it were, you know, that, that, as it was, that era kind of killed, you know, tons of metal bands killed off, you know, killed off the Seattle metal scene completely. So it was an unfortunate um, circumstance, but I think, I think uh, our plan was actually working fairly well. You know, if you look at what was going on, you know, time will tell was kind of moving forward. Everything was going well right up until that whole grunge thing started to take off. Yeah, I remember um, Kerrang! magazine in the 80s. I'm, I'm originally from Ireland, so I used to buy Kerrang! every week. And they used to cover you guys. But yeah. obviously, you know, you didn't get out. You didn't get the chance to get out there and play shows to promote it. So they used to review your albums. And I used to wait for the the tour announcements and there was never any of them. Well, that's, and, and, you know, honestly, if, you know, the problem back then was really, you know, if, if we would have had the support in the United States, like, like we had in Europe, I think that would have helped immensely because Europe loved us. But back in that day, you got to remember, you know, it's really expensive to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's really expensive to get there and do tours. And even now, you know, even now, you know, like, if Fifth Angel is going to go play there, you know, the minute we get off the plane, you know, we're $8,000 in the hole. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like you have to really make sure that if you're going to, you know, you're going to go and you're going to play live, that you're going to be able to cover those costs. And, it's, you know, people think it's easy, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy these days unless the demand is there. I mean, if the demands of the fans, you know, is there, then it works out. And, you know, that's what, that's what we've said all along with, with even, you know, the third secret and, and all the different things that are going on. We just said, you know, people go, well, what are you going to do? And we said, you know, we're going to let the fans decide, you know, if the fans want to see us, you know, we're going to take the opportunity. We're going to be there. We're going to do shows, you know, we're going to do what we can, you know, any opportunities that we get, we'll just have to see what the demand is. Yeah. And if, if people love the band and people support the band, you know, because honestly, um, and this is something I've said in almost every interview, you know, every band, and you've heard it a million times because you're an interviewer, but you've heard bands say like, well, you know, we're doing this because of the fans, you know, we wouldn't do this without the fans. But in the case of Fifth Angel, that is 100% fact. Like we would not have done the third secret without the amazing response that the band received um, at the Keep It True Festival. Okay. You know, that really, that really kind of gave us the energy to go, 
you know, like when you see 5,000 people singing along the lyrics to every single song, you know, you just go, wow, we, we kind of, you know, somebody loved our music, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, so maybe we should make some more. And, uh, you know, I, I will just say this again in this interview, with, without the fans, we would not have done this record. I mean, the fans that kept our music alive for 30 years, you know, it's like, so we just, we always say, we always thank them in every interview because, you know, without their, without them, without their support, seriously, like none of this would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, was it easy when you started writing the record to get the Fifth Angel sound? Because you've obviously grown as people and musicians over the 30 odd years since your last record. Sure. Well, I, I will say this. Um, there was a time and, you know, people go, well, why didn't you put out an album earlier? And, uh, you know, getting back to guys, you know, you mentioned Peter and, you know, did you ask some other singers to sing? Like, yeah, we did. We tried to have, you know, we, we had some great singers that we worked with, you know, over the years. And every time we recorded something, you know, it just didn't sound like Fifth Angel, you know, and we know what that sound is supposed to sound like. And that was one of the big problems, uh, you know, and, and that's a reason that we didn't do an album until now. But on this record, we started doing some demos and Kendall was singing on the demos and he sent me the the songs and I just called him up and I just said, you know, I think you're going to have to sing on these because... You know, there's no, I can't imagine somebody's going to sing this with more power, more passion, more feeling than, than he did. And, and, and it was true. I mean, we, like I said, we tried to work with other singers. It just didn't sound like Fifth Angel. And for the first time, you know, when Kendall was singing on the, it sounded like Fifth Angel. And you just went, wow, this, it still sounds like Fifth Angel. It's a little different, of course, because he's a different singer. But, the, you know, the sense of feel and the direction and the energy and the emotion, you know, all of that, we felt like, wow, we captured this again. So once we settled on that, it was very easy and it was very natural. And it did it was not hard at all to, you know, like what you're saying, recapture the sound. It was actually really easy once we made that decision. Okay. And have you had any offers yet of live shows do you think where do you think it's going to go do you think it's going to be maybe a cruise here or there or an actual run of shows well we don't know um you know if the demand is there and the finances are there you know because like i said you know touring is an expensive thing and fans go like hey we want to see the band and like we know hey we'd like to be seen (laughs) we'd like to we'd like people to see the band but at the same time you know, when you're, when you're doing what we're doing, which is, you know, coming back from a, you know, 28 year hiatus or whatever it's been, um, you know, it's, it's something that you have to, you know, you have to look at. I mean, I think we're prepared for sure to go and do whatever opportunities present themselves. I think again, it's just going to be, you know, will we see the demand there? And uh, I certainly hope we will. We're 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 scheduled to play some festivals, and we're going to try and book some more festivals. Um, so if that, you know, at the very least, you know, we should be doing those. So you know, if it grows into something more than that, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I think you know, is it going to be one of those things where, you know, how is this album going to do? You know, we don't know yet. I kind of look at it and I go, well, it's really up to, it's really up to the audience. You know, are they going to, how is it going to be received? I mean, it seems like the critics have loved the album, you know, gotten incredible reviews, tons of amazing, amazing reviews. And then, but now it's time for the fans to talk and, you know, we don't, you know, it's really early. It just came out 26. So, you know, how is it going to sell? I don't know. I mean, I hope it sells really well. I hope people love it and enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. We had a great time recording it. And, uh, you know, we'll see, I mean, everything looks good so far. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it does. Yeah. I just got a couple of questions, Ken, before I leave you go. Um, I had Greg Jafria on a couple of months ago, um, to talk about the house of Lords debut album. And one of the things he said in the interview was that he, he sometimes he could be tough on the rest of the band members that he was very particular about the sound of, of the band. Um, and I'm thinking if I ever got to speak with someone else in the band, I was going to ask him, uh, like you work with Andy Johns and Andy Johns is notorious for being tough on drummers. 
So you've got, <laughs> so you have to deal with that. And some of the musicians have told me about, you know, the dealings with the drummers and the bands they were in, that Andy was tough on them. Um, and then you have Greg on the other hand, who's been tough on the band to get a particular sound. Which one was the tougher on you? Was Greg tougher or was Andy tougher to work for? Uh, I don't think Greg was tough at all. Um, I, and I don't think Andy was tough at all. Andy loved me. And, you know, like he, he uh, and people thought he was crazy because he was always firing drummers. But, you know, the thing is, is I, he had a great sense of time and feel. You know, he's the guy that recorded Bond, you know, on almost all those records. So, you know, he knew what he wanted to hear. And if you weren't able to play it, then you were going to have a problem. But I didn't have any problem with Andy because I knew exactly what he wanted and I knew exactly how to play it. You know, back that in that day, you didn't have Beat Detective and Pro Tools. You know, you had to, it was either there in the drum track or you got fired, you know. And so um, I didn't have any problems with Andy at all. Andy actually, one time he grabbed me in a headlock and he and, you know, he's a big guy. He was like 6'4 or something. And he grabbed me in a headlock and he goes, you and Bonham, man, you and Bonham. You know, like he was really, ha he was really happy, you know, to work with me. And, and uh, you know, so I, I loved working with Andy and Greg, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure what he was talking about being tough on the band, but the band was very much, you know, the skill level in House of Lords was insane. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, you had... You know, I had toured with Alice. Greg had done, obviously, Angel and Jafria. You know, Chuck had been in Quiet Riot. You know, Lanny had worked with Ozzy Osbourne and some other, you know, major people. I mean, we had all, I think between all of us, we had done, you know, like over 30 albums and we had sold like, you know, I don't know, like 40 million albums worldwide or something collectively. And so the, the, the skill level was ridiculous. I mean, we would bang out... The whole first album was done in 28 days from wow. start to finish. Wow. Which, which which back in those days, you know, like James did all his vocal parts in like three or four days. I did all my parts like in two days. Uh, you know, Gene Simmons was in there. You know, he would pop into the studio and just go, yeah, sounds great, guys. See you later. I mean, because he, he had nothing to add. I mean, there's, you know, like it was, you know, the players were phenomenal players. I mean, every one of these players were just so skilled in the studio that it was, you know, it was like a rock version of Toto. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost, it's almost like he had session players because I had done a million gajillion records and Chuck had done a jillion records and Greg had done a jillion records. The only guy that really was new was James. and and James was phenomenal. I mean, one of the best live singers I've ever worked with. I mean, the guy, you know, at that time period was just, you know, you could he could sing the phone book and make you cry. You know, I mean, he was he was just really an amazing vocalist. So, you know, you put all that together, and and the records were a piece of cake. I mean, they were. I think the records were the easiest part of that whole thing. <laughs> so. It really was. I mean, we we used to be like, you know, it was a machine, man. It was like, you know, everybody knew their parts. Everybody had their crap together, and uh, and it went, you know, it went very quickly. So I'm not. I guess I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure what uh, what the what the comment was from Greg. Maybe he meant it in a different way or something. But you know, yeah, it was. I thought the albums were were relatively quick and relatively easy and, and kind of, you know, kind of drama free with the exception of, I'd say the only drama was, you know, we really wanted to be successful. And so there were definitely sometimes differences of opinions on what that was, should look like, you know, cause I was a rocker, you know, I wanted stuff to be rock, you know, I wanted it to be heavy. And then, you know, there's other guys that were a little more like, well, we need radio, 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 you know, you got to have radio play. And that's true, too. You know, so I think it was kind of a good blend of personalities, too. You had some guys that were total rockers and you had other guys that were more leaning towards radio. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a it was a great experience. You know, I will say this, you know, I think that was a, a fabulous band. And, and uh, you know, I, I know we achieved a certain level of success. I think it should have been bigger than it was. Um, I'm not, I'm not disparaging what we did, but I just think that for the level that the band was at, you know, I, I think we should have done much better. But again, you know, that whole grunge thing came in and just, 
destroyed, you know, that type of music completely, um, which was kind of weird. House of Lords didn't really get lumped in that as much, I think, because we were a little more um, musician-based, I guess. I mean, you'll hear things on our records that were, you know, technically very proficient. And, um, you know, that was something for that era you didn't hear a lot of. You know, we were almost like a prog band as opposed to a pop band, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Now, you've had your own studio for how long now, Ken? About 20 years or so, is it? Yeah, it might, yeah, I think it might be a little longer than that. But yeah, somewhere around 20 years. Um, were you someone that got in the ear of someone like Andy about why he mic'd you this way? Were you always inquisitive back then and that got you to go in that direction to build your own studio? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, I was really fortunate to work with some of the, you know, greatest uh engineers in the in the history of music you know guys like andy johns and michael wagner um mac you know who did all the queen stuff uh mick Gazowski, who you know did mixes for like mariah carey and uh christina aguilera i mean i worked with amazing you know engineers and producers and i would always try to glean as much as i could from their knowledge base even you know even even very, being very young you know, I was always very interested in the process. So, yeah, that was uh, that was certainly a, a great opportunity that I took advantage of, for sure. Yeah, because one of the albums I love your drumming on is uh, the Bonfire Fireworks album. I think that's the one you did with Michael Wagner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love that album. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that went gold in Germany, I think, so... Yeah, uh, that's that's one of the go- that's one of the gold records on my wall. So I have fond memories of that. And uh, the band, you know, they were great guys to work with too. And that was a fun record. I really did enjoy making that record. They, they you know, because normally people don't think of, um, you know, bands from Germany as having a great sense of humor. But the two bands that I worked with, Bonfire and Accept, both of those guys just had. Great senses, of, you know. Both of those bands had great senses of humor that really made them fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. So, was there any particular reason why uh, you didn't join uh, Bad Moon Rising? Because I think you and Chuck played on the first two records. We did. Yep, um, we played on the first two records. I actually toured with them in Japan. Uh, ironically, getting back from Japan this week, but. Uh, when you say join them, I think it was really, you know, that band from a financial perspective was really Cal and Doug, you know, that was kind of their deal and they put it together. And, you know, honestly, I I don't think they were necessarily looking for, you know, band members, so to speak. Um, and if, you know, if they were, then I think, you know, Chuck and I would have been a little too, you know, like they, if you're just looking to pay us like side they'd have to pay a, a fair amount for that. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and you know, here's a funny story too, because, you know, Doug um, on the Sahara album, you know, he, he toured behind that record and played most of the guitars on that record. And we, we actually asked him to join the band and, and he didn't actually, you know, officially join the band ever. So, um, but he was an instrumental part of, of that Sahara record. Yeah. Yeah, I remember talking. Yeah. I talked to Greg. Yeah, I talked to Greg about Doug, and uh, he was he was raving about him. He says he's one of the best Les Paul players he's ever heard. I think so. I agree with that. I think Doug is a phenomenal player, and the the interesting thing is is you know he's he's so it's it's really funny when I was doing demos. Uh, when I had a very small studio like an Akai Twelve Track, I would fly him out from L.A because I live in Phoenix and he'd come out and, you know, go through, we'd, we'd record like three or four songs in like a day. And, and you go back and listen to his guitar solos that he threw down in, you know, probably two minutes. <laughs> you know? And, and they're just phenomenal. I mean, it's just like, he has this, you know, just this way of, sing, you know, like the leads, you can almost sing them, you know, just a great sense of melody, a great feel. Yeah. He's a, he's a phenomenal player. Yeah. So, so final question for me, Ken, and I always ask the drummers this, and I've gotten some uh, some very different answers. What's the worst drum-related injury you've ever had? The drum-related injury? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say there's two different things. You know, over over the you know course of my career, 
Um, I, I have struggled with some some back issues, which I seem to have have figured out how to how to fix. Um, back back in the day, you know, we didn't have or we didn't maybe we had them, but I just didn't use them because I was young and stupid. But uh, you know, we didn't have drone thrones like we do now to have the back, you know, uh, support on them and, and all of these things. You know, now I have a, a drum throne. It's called a rock and sock, and it actually moves around a little bit. So when you sit on it, it's never completely stable. So it doesn't create pressure in your in your back in one spot all the time. Uh-huh. So it it it, it kind of moves a little bit, and it was a little weird to get used to. But now I could sit down and play drums for eight hours, and it wouldn't bother me. And in the in back in the day, like there were times where you know I would do a studio session, and I would get up and I'd be in a tremendous amount of pain. So I think. You know, the back issues, you know, I, I, I've solved them, but um, that was probably, that that was a big one. And then, the uh, you know, and every drummer that I talked to that's been doing it for, you know, 20 plus years or whatever, um, almost all of them have back problems, like almost, almost 100%. So it's, it's a very common thing. Um, and I think the other, the other worst thing I had was my shoulder injury. Um, that, that's another thing that as a drummer, you know, shoulders just take so long to heal. I mean, it just take, they just take a really, really long time to heal. Like I, you know, if you injure your shoulder as a drummer, it's going to take you like two years (laughs) Wow. to to get completely back to where you feel like, you know, wow, you know, I'm back to where I need to be. I mean, it's, 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 it's a very, that, that joint is a very, um, it's a very complex joint. There's no other joint in your body that has that range of motion. And so it's very complicated. And also because it's so complicated, it's the, it's one of the most fragile joints because of how much it has to move and, and how it, it, how it's functionally put together. Uh, so that, that was the, that was the second, you know, uh, you know, I'd say those two things are, you know, if I was going to advise young drummers, you know, I would tell them, you know, A, get a chair like that rock and stock motion throne so that they don't put any pressure on their back. I wish somebody would have told me that. (laughs) And then, you know, the other thing is, is when you're, when you're practicing, um, you know, don't like the reason I injured my shoulders, I had, uh, you know, I had my um, practice kit all padded up. And because of that, it was a very solid surface I was I was hitting, and I was hitting it, you know, full blast, getting mm-hmm. ready for like a Monsters or Rock cruise. And that's actually, you know, that, that actually hurt my shoulder. You know, it's like, I think that was, you know, really the, the thing that kind of, you know, pushed it uh, to the point where, you know, if you're going to play drums, you know, don't, don't hit anything that's like a, you know, a solid surface with any, you know, just make sure it's, you know, real drums and real symbols, because nowadays, you know, you have all these electronic pads and different things that you can practice on. And I think if you do too much, you know, on a surface like that, it's going to be really bad for your, for your shoulders and elbows and and, and hands even. So, you know, again, I wish somebody would have kind of told me that too, like, Hey, you know, be careful of, of what you're practicing on, you know, make sure it's a surface that has some give to it. Like, you know, you hit a cymbal, it moves. You hit a drum head, it flexes. You know, you hit a drum pad, you know, some of those things are like hitting bricks, you know, and it's like, it's really tough on your joints. Yeah. So have you, are you someone who's radically changed how they warm up then over the years to compensate for all of that? Uh, not so much. I mean, I, I never really warmed up that much. Um, now with, with something like flotsam, you kind of have to just because the speed is, uh, is pretty intense on a lot of the stuff. Um, but you know, I never really tended to warm up that much and I really don't tend to warm up that much now, even, uh, I just think it's, you know, a little bit of stretching. I mean, just the normal, you know, what you would, you know, you'd kind of think would be like normal stuff. You know, if you're going to, you're going to go for a run or something, you'd probably stretch your legs a little bit. You know, it's like that kind of thing. You know, I'll stretch a little bit before I play, but that's, that's really about all I do. I don't really warm up that much. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I've been a big fan for many years, so I've, I'm a huge House of Lords fan and Bonfire and all that sort of stuff. So I've been following you for a long time. It's nice to finally get to speak to you. I certainly appreciate that. Thank you so much, you know, for your support over all the years. And, 
and uh, you know, it really does mean a tremendous amount. Um, you know, like people people always go like, well, you know, just like we talked about, you know, about the fans. But I always look at it and I go, you know, like like when I was on tour last time in Europe, you know, guys would bring up like you know, twenty. 30 albums for me to sign and they go like, Hey, would you mind signing this? And I'm like, you know what? I don't mind signing any of this because I figure, you know, somebody puts their hard earned money into, you know, I, I, there's no, no higher compliment than someone, you know, appreciating your art. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I appreciate your support. Thanks so much. No problem, Ken. And if you, if you get out there with either Flotsam or Fifth Angel, I'll hit you up and hopefully I can get to say hi to you in person. That sounds awesome. Yep. All right, Ken. We'll have a good rest of the day. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. All right. Finally, nice to have Ken Mary on the show. I think that Richie and I talked about getting Ken on the show, even just for a career retrospective, probably like five years ago. It was pretty early in when uh, Richie was on uh, first on the show that we talked about that. And I think that's probably something that uh, now that we've got a, a bit of a connection with Ken, that maybe we can get him back for uh for a retrospective and uh, you know what before i forget i just want to say hey brian thanks for uh, helping to make uh, this one happen buddy uh we really appreciate it so if you want to find out more about fifth angel you can head up to fifthangel.com and from there if you scroll down the bottom of the page you get your facebook link twitter link and your instagram link And they actually do have a tour page up there, so uh, cross your fingers that things come to pass. Also, if you want to find out about tour dates for the Flotsam and Jetsam guys, you can go to flotsam-and-jetsam.com. Who the hell puts dashes in the middle of the web address? Anyways, that's what it is, and there you can get all of the tour dates for Flotsam. Like I said, tour is kicking up uh, March 12th. They kick it off in Poland, run through Europe for a while, and then they come back over to the States in May and uh, hit North Carolina and do a whole crap load of dates in the States and finally wrap that tour up on June 14th. And hopefully by then, we'll also be getting some new Flotsam music. And if you do want to hear a sample of something off of the end of chaos, there is one song that's currently available up on Amazon Digital. It's called Recover. So if you want, you can uh, plop down your buck 29 and hear at least one new Flotsam track. So up next, Richie will be talking with Jamie Brown, one of the main guys from Roxanne. So recently, our buddies over at Rat Pack Records signed Roxanne to a sweet deal, and that has allowed them to put out their first studio album since 1988. That's right. Roxanne's back with the aptly titled Radio Silence. So the uh, the phone connection is a little squirrely on this one. Occasionally, Jamie drops out a bit, but uh, listen up closely and you shall hear the story of uh, the comeback of Roxanne. Jamie? Yep. I'm here. Hey, it's Richie here from Focus on Metal. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. So uh, is it good morning to you or where are you based? Yeah, I'm in Arizona right now, so uh, it's 11 a.m. So this has been an interesting week for me because um, I spoke to drummer Ken Mary, who's played with uh, the likes of Alice Cooper, and he's done a ton of session work. And his first band released their first record in 29 years. And now I'm speaking to somebody who's released their first album with the band in 30 years. Yeah, yeah. I think we have the. Uh, I think we have the world's record for the longest time between records. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, like the coincidence of that is not lost on me. Uh, like, because normally I'll interview guys and they'll have an album out every year or every two years. But the chances of having two guys on in the same week and one is twenty nine years and and the other one is thirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, we don't want to over market by too much material. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm sure everyone is asking you this question, but why is it taking so long to do another record? Uh, well, we, um, it, it didn't start out as a plan. Um, we thought, you know, we would, uh, 
and you deal with that and you have to, you know, facilitate waiting. So we around ninety, ninety one, we played around with some demos for Atlantic and um we're thinking about doing it and we got busy doing a uh, kind of a cover tribute thing that we had come up with in our downtime. And then it just didn't make sense. The music business um, and our type of music just it seemed like we wouldn't be able to really make a living at it. So we uh, we opted for another way to make a living at the time, and then just that uh, carried us through to now. Yeah. So, so how many of the four of you stayed full time in the music business? All four of us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we continue playing the game. We basically just created a bunch of different cover bands and we would call them all together and we'd be two of them or three of them sometimes all four of us but we were all working the entire time yeah so of course like the business has done a complete 180 now from when you did yeah. the, when from when you did the the last record um what what makes it right now to do it for you guys um I just boy we had been wanting to do it for a while, but the time wasn't right for our schedule. So then we had a window of opportunity that um, if we were going to do it, let's do it now. And right back was there, coaxing uh, us to get it done. So we, we used the, the, the pressure we were getting from right back to, to get it done now. Okay. As opposed to wait another, another 30 years, I don't think we could have, we could have made Yeah. So, so had you started at any stage to write songs or maybe even record them and you just stopped or did you just not do that at all? No, um, there are two songs on this record that we had written uh, we intended for the second Roxanne record. That was uh, Man and the Man and A Quarter of Four. Those are both supposed to be on our second record. But then since we didn't do it, they just sat around. And then the rest of the material was written fresh um, collectively as we started the record. Okay, so were they the only two song ideas that were left from back then, or did you was there other stuff there that you maybe revisited and decided not to go near? No, that's it. Just those two. Um, that's it. Everything else was fresh, and uh, I mean there are other pieces, but we didn't even consider the other pieces. But those two, you know, we thought, yeah, those are supposed to be on Rockin' Two, and this is Rockin' Two, so let's do it. So that's why they're there. Yeah, so, so how did you guys end up on Rat Pack? Because I, I know Joe, they're, that label is probably about 20 minutes from my house. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I've been friends with uh, Ray Lazier, who's the drummer in Corn, and also KXM for a long time. And um, Joe was putting out the first KXM record, and Ray had asked me if I wanted to make their music video for it, because I had have a background in that. And uh, I said, sure. So that's how I met Joe, was making music videos for Rat Pack. And uh, that relationship, where we have other conversations, Joe didn't even know that I hate them and what they did was. And so uh, a few conversations, and he said, really? And then uh, there was... One of the songs, or the four, Joe Hitz, one of his other artists said, ask him, hey, ask Jamie about that four to four song, if he's going to do anything with it. And then I just said to Joe, why don't we just do a Roxanne record instead of me selling off my song? I said, all right, let's do it. So that's how it came about. <laughs> yeah, so, so which of the four he took the most convincing to get back on the horse and, and give it another go? Uh, there really wasn't any convincing for anyone. It was, um, yeah, that'll be fun. And then we all kind of looked at each other like, where do we start? You know, none of us had tried writing anything for 25 years. And, you know, what you write about in your 20s versus what you write about in your 50s, slightly different. Yeah, yeah. Because you mentioned there you had, you had two songs that are yeah. that are old. Um, yeah. Are they the original lyrics, or did you go back and rewrite them now that you're a little bit older? Uh, they are the original lyrics. Wow. Yeah, original lyrics. Uh, a couple of tiny tweaks as far as the arrangement of them, but pretty much what we had intended originally. Yeah, yeah. So, 
you've got the three guys that are on in the band KXM on this, and you, you've said that you knew Ray, but did you yeah. know who Doug Pinnock or George Lynch was? Oh, absolutely. Um, King's X is my all-time favorite band, so that was a thrill for me to get to make their video, and you know, a few years later have Doug on my record. Um, that was quite an experience. And then uh, Dawkins has been around, you know, in, in my uh, musical sphere forever. And um, uh, in fact, George, John is a guitar player in Roxanne. When I met John, George Lynch was his idol. That was, he was, wished he could be George Lynch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so giving them that opportunity was a perfect set. And they played on one of the songs on the record, too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just yeah. that uh, I was going to ask you, was it Joe O'Brien that suggested getting those guys in? But you already knew who they all were anyway. Yeah, we had, you know, I'd known Ray forever and then became with friends with the other two guys in the process of watching the KXM videos. So um, we we had Ray play on it. They were actually working on KXM 2 while we were doing Roxanne 2 in the same town. And I, while Ray was in town, I said, Ray, why don't you come over and play on a song? And so Ray came over and played on Man and Moon. Ray took it back, uh, a little rough back with him, and then uh, George says, I want to play on something. And so, all right, so then I brought George in on something, and then I thought, well, let's see if Doug wants to play on something. And Doug said, Doug played bass on Man and Moon. And then I already done all the vocals for Go Fuck Yourself. And I thought, you know, how great would it be if Doug, and I traded off in this, and I said, you want to sing on one too? That's how that happened. So, yeah, I, I gotta admit, yeah. no, I, I'm pre- I'm really new to the band, um, as in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah. th- I think the album is amazing. By the way, I'm, I'm a, there's an al- certain albums that come out that I'm on. I'm I'm really unaware of the band at all. That just come out of nowhere and blow me away. And I have to say that this year, this one is the one for me that's done it. That. I, mean, I love I love hearing that. Um, we, you know, we could have done things differently, and but we we kind of wanted to re- redeem ourselves from our first record. I mean, it was fine for the time, but it didn't stand the test of time. It was, it was shelf life in that record. It's trapped in 1988, and we wanted to make a record that would have a longer shelf life. And uh, we, we kind of this is something we could all be proud of that we would be proud that we made it and be proud to play for our friends or family. So nobody, nobody wants to do something for a living that they don't like. You know, like you're popular for playing the kind of music that you actually don't like. When you're surrounded by a room full of people that like something you don't like, chances are you don't have anything in common with that room full of people. Mm-hmm. You know, we would rather <laughs> just be in a room full of people who actually like the same things we like. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. has has anyone been saying in in any of the interviews you've done so far that they can hear a little bit of Queen in your songs? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, some of that, some of that is because um, of our Queen influence, and some of that is that Queen is in the spotlight right now with Bohemian Rhapsody, so people are making action. But um, our first record was engineered by Jeff Workman. Jeff Workman worked with Roy Thomas Baker on all those early Queen records. And so I kind of learned how Jeff stacked his background vocals on the Queen records in the process of doing the first Roxanne record. So how I was back on that because it's such a cool sound. Yeah, it's just that when I hear listen to the song, The Girl's All Right, it's not just the vocals, it's the, the guitar sound and the, and the solo in that reminds me a little bit of Brian May. Right, and it's that real mid mid rangey sound that makes that guitar cut through. And I mean, that was just that's just smart EQing guitar work. So it is right in your face. But then it does. So hey, that sounds like you know a Brian May sound. But that that makes it really easy and you know nice to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. when when you got back together and started writing, did it come back pretty easily? Or was it difficult in the beginning that you you wrote a lot of stuff that you probably threw away, and and then it came? It, it would be 
we would, everyone would work on this individual. And then we would have a rehearsal date. We were coming together. We'll bring in the ideas. Yeah. And then we would try everybody's ideas and then discuss which pieces we thought can have potential. So we would actually record those pieces instrumentally. And then everybody would leave, and I would take those pieces and go, can I turn these pieces into a song? And then we would get back together and go, here, I said, what I've made out of those pieces? What are you guys thinking? And we would, that was kind of the process. And we took the process of elimination and say, I, you know, I have this, what do you think? Oh, that's terrible. So we throw it away. I can't come up with anything. Anybody else who kind of narrowed it down that way. I would say, you know, there are, you know, we, we have as many we didn't use as we did use. Okay, because that I'm, makes sense. And, and a couple of those that we did use almost didn't make it because we were at the very end going to kind of really fit with the rest of the record. I don't know what to do here. And, and then a bolt of lightning would hit it. Ah, there it is. Okay, save it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading all the lyrics on it, and they're very, very personal. Um, a lot of it is, is about relationships either with, with certain people or with like the system, the government, the likes of go fuck yourself. And, um, <laughs> you know, that those are the, the what's your on Tim blue line. And, um, but the one song that stands out that I wanted to ask you about the lyrics for is a uh, quarter to four. Can you tell me what the inspiration was for that? I just wanted to tell uh, uh, what's the inspiration boy. I just want to again, that's one that was done that's thirty years old. So whatever that inspiration was, it struck me thirty years ago. It was just telling a story um, in the way you might um make a film with the with what seems to be the obvious uh, situation and, and the plot that, but it reveals itself to be something different at the very end. Mm. It's just, it's just lyrically, it's it's very different to the rest of the, the rest of the album. It, it is um, a lot of the record seems like personal relationships. A lot of it is introspection too, mm -hmm. and you know, trying to be honest with yourself and you know, other people to be honest too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, Jamie, when is the last time you did a live show? Uh, a live rock scene show. Let me think. Every couple of years, we've done something small. It was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Las Vegas, where they had fans that were called in Vegas. We did 30 minutes here, or... Uh, I think we did something at the Roxy in Hollywood maybe four years ago, but I don't think we've done a live Roxanne show for, it's probably been about four years. Okay. And even, and even then it was, you know, a short little, you know, four songs. Okay. And we were we were not headlining and nobody was there to see us. We were just, we, did, we opened for Paul Gilbert, um, and that was about three years ago. Okay, so yeah. so what would you consider now to be a success for this album? Because you can't measure it on record sales anymore. Right. Um, I think we were a success just the way it came out. We put a lot of work into it. We love the way it came out. The packaging is spectacular. Rich Rowler did an incredible job on the production. I mean, People like yourself like it. We're happy with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we've had a success already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so, who was the first guy to turn around when you started the process of doing this and said, you know what, we should have done this years ago? Wow. We over the years we've all looked at each other and said, you know probably the smart thing to do is to continue doing it. But at the time, in the 20s, you had to find a way to make a living. And we were all really struggling to survive, so we had to find a way to make a living. So we took a different route to pay our bills. 
we should have been doing this at the same time and just getting better at our craft and building a fan base. So in the event that we did want to do it seriously, we had some work done. But, you know, things are what they are. And we're, uh, like in Broken Chandelier, that means things don't have to be perfect to be great. Yeah. So did you guys have to test the water to see if you still had a fan base? Because, you know, you could start this and then you could end up that not a lot of people care, for want of a better word. Yeah, um, I think we assumed that no one would care. I think we started with that uh, in mind, that no one would care. And if they did, then we were we were successful with it. Um, you know, we didn't even know how many we sold in the first record because the relationship was so bad with the label that we couldn't get an honest answer. And that's why that relationship ended. So we figured... Well, anybody that bought that first record, they would probably buy this one if they knew it existed. Um, and so we just kind of kept that in mind. Well, let's just make it as we can make it and try to get it out in front of people. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any live shows lined up, or is it going to be a scheduling thing with the four of you if you're doing other things? Yeah, we do have a, uh, some complicated scheduling to work around that we want to get out and play live. We um we're waiting to see what sort of interest the record gets. I mean, it used to be the reverse. You used to go out and promote the record so people would buy it. So you would tour to support the record. And now it's kind of opposite. You give the record away and then you go tour and try to sell some t-shirts to pay your bills. Um, We've only got a couple of one-offs scheduled right now and they're not until 2019 okay okay yeah. so, so so Jamie before I leave you go do you uh, do you want to give out all the, the the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or the band yeah that would be good if I knew what they were um, let me think I think I think I have Facebook and Twitter and RootNackRecords.com and then there's, I believe, uh, I believe we have a website at roxanneband.com. Just guessing. Do you have the record in front of you? Um, I do. Because there are some little tiny liner notes, and it's all right there. <laughs> Maybe you should say what it is. I've got it. It's um, at roxannerockband.com is Facebook. Um, at it's the first time I've done. I've actually done this for a, for a musician. <laughs> it's at, yeah, it's at Roxanne Band official, and then on Twitter it's at Roxanne Band, and the the website is www.roxanneband.com. I appreciate your help with that. <laughs> no, no, no problem, Jamie. So I'm going to leave you go, and uh, the album is awesome, absolutely awesome. I absolutely love it. Thank you. So you have a good rest of the day and have a nice weekend. And um, hopefully Joe will get the band up uh, up this area and I can go and say hello to you in person. Oh, I'd, I'd love that. You know what? Uh, go ahead and send Joe an email about that very thing. I will. All right, Jamie. Have a okay. good rest of the day. All right. Thank All you. Right. Goodbye. And if you want to get your own copy again of Roxanne's Radio Silence, you head up to ratpackrecordsamerica.com and you will see a link there to go over to the artist page. And they've got all kinds of good stuff there. They've got some special edition releases. You know, you can get it with a CD jewel case, red and black splatter of vinyl, cassette. They have uh, also the hand-autographed CD bundle. So good stuff there. And again, head up to ratpackrecords.com and get your own copy of... All the good new stuff from Roxanne. Funny how this one all came together with uh, within a week or so of two bands that are coming out from uh, from the ether, 29 and 30 years apart. Felt it fit together, so uh, why not do that one? So I'm thinking maybe next week, if all turns out right, get it all edited up in time and it's all crispy, crunchy, that uh, we'll be bringing you a chat that Richie had with former Dio guitarist, Craig Goldie. That's right, another Dio guitarist on the show. And if you listen to the uh, the chat, you will find out the uh, the one Dio guitarist that we have not had on yet. 
But in the meantime, you can always keep up with us at focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com, over on Twitter, as well as the ever-present Facebook, where you can always uh, happily reach Richie. You can also send us emails to uh, Richie at focusonmetal.net, as well as scott at focusonmetal.net. So that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy and also the month of November is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.